0: live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on?
0: The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414- 799-1620.
1: for present. Get
0: in the Race will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show, Jane. You want to feel old? Got a little test here. You want to to feel old?
2: I don't need much help, but Uh, sure. Okay, (laughs) sure, Jeff.
1: All right. I was listening to your news account. grew who's back after one day at Summerfest, off, and then another day to recover from being off at Summerfest. All right, welcome back. All right. In Janie's newscast, she mentioned this thing called a fountain pen. Do you know what a fountain pen is? Yeah, that's where you, you dip it in the inkwell and everything like that. You dip it in the inkwell. Did you, did you ever own a fountain pen? No, I'm, I just know what one is. All right, you well, okay, that's that's really not quite. I mean, you don't you don't dip it in inkwell. Maybe maybe in the 1780s they dipped it in inkwell. I mean, a uh, Jane, you, you have fountain pens, yes, right? Yes. I mean, I mean, I it's it's interesting because you were talking about how his cursive writing, you know, going the way of of the fountain pens. I used to love fountain pens. There and, used to
2: be entire stores dedicated well, to nothing
1: but pens. Well, right. Da- remember Daly's Daly's yes. Pen Shop, which yes. was the one that was it was in Grand Avenue or, or right outside of Grand Avenue for the longest time. I used to love going into that and and for graduation gifts. I mean, that's that's what you would give somebody graduates from high school or college, right. and you'd go out and, and you'd get them an expensive pen. And and fountain pens, it's, it's way back in the day, you'd dip them in the ink well. But more modern fountain pens, you would buy the, these like ink cartridges. And, and what you would do is you'd you'd unscrew the pen, and then you'd stick the ink cartridge in the pen, and then you'd screw it. Back out, so so you could actually you could carry it in your pocket, and, and as opposed to having to take the inkwell with you. But I,
2: <laughs> I I I used to love fountain pens and stuff like that. I miss them. I and there are still people who are into them. I mean, right. pens, right? Certainly, and uh, I would think again for for people who are in law school, they must still get a pen when they graduate, right? Do, do you do you write notes anymore? I don't. Really? Very rarely. And part of it, though, is just because of, of I have some arthritic joints okay. in my hands. So my penmanship now has gotten so bad. I mean, because I do... I, I mean, I will...
1: Not all the time, of course, but every once in a while, I, I will... I think there's nothing like getting a handwritten thank you note. So I will write handwritten thank you notes. And I had a very... I, it, it's, it's interesting. I had a very dear friend of mine who passed away a couple of years ago, a high school buddy of mine. And I, I wrote... I wrote his mom a letter and I just, I wrote her, I mean, it was, it was a handwritten letter and I just told her how much her son's friendship had meant to me over the years. And it's so funny. She passed away a little while ago and her niece said she carried that letter Aww. with her, you know, all, all the days of her life, you how know, lovely. because, but it, it was, it's, it's that handwritten. I, I guess I was listening to your story. I would hate to see cursive writing go the way of, of the dodo bird because it, it is, it's such an intimate thing. And when, when I get notes that, that somebody's actually taken the time to sit down and write, you know, it, it just shows how, how into that they are.
2: Well, I feel, I feel a little sorry for people who don't know the delicious, agonizing anticipation of waiting for a letter from, from <laughs> someone far away. Yeah. There was just nothing, there was nothing like that. And then to get the mail and have that letter from that person, it, there was yeah. nothing like that feeling.
1: Yeah, I used to, I, I just, when you were talking about fountain pens, I would just think, I can, and they were messy, you know, cause you'd have to, you'd have these ink cartridges and sometimes you'd get the ink and stuff Absolutely. on your hands as you were taking them off. But it, it was just, it was just cool. I miss those days. All right. All right. Yeah, yes you you don't dip the ink in the inkwell. That's what John Adams. You does. can
0: still buy those. They're still around.
1: <clears throat> you mean the, the stuff that you dip in the inkwell? Oh yeah,
3: like you, they come empty and you you ha- you buy the inkwell and yeah. you dip it in there and then like like well, similar to back in the old days. Yeah, I have a I I have a friend that does that. Um Freelance work for like she sort of has like a right like calligraphy or something yeah exactly exactly yep
1: all right well okay well that's still around that 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 you just can't find them that many places on the internet you can find anything it's a rare talent yeah right exactly I mean you can probably find New Coke somewhere on the internet if if you wanted to but all right that's good all right I have two observations and and these kind of run into each other as I said I sent out a tweet over the weekend about this and you can follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty there on Friday. They released the name of the man who has now been charged with killing the Racine police officer, Officer John Hetland, in the bar. Everybody knows the story by now. What was it, two weeks ago? The guy walks into the bar. He's wearing this mask. He's got the gun. Officer Hetland's having a sandwich at the bar. He jumps over the bar. He tries to physically stop the robber. The robber gets a little bit of separation and shoots and kills Officer Hetland in cold blood. He has now been caught. When they released his name, and his name is Dalquavius Ward of Milwaukee, I pulled up his, his information on Wisconsin Circuit Court Access, which tells you people's records, and and I knew there was something funny because it talked about, you know, how he ha- had been arrested in 2015 and convicted of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon and disorderly conduct. But there wasn't an underlying felon. There wasn't normally there'd be another conviction before that, because before you can be convicted of possession of a firearm as a felon, yet you have to you have to be convicted of a felony. So I figured there was something up. And then there were some references to federal court. Well, as it turns out, first of all, to the surprise of no one, and keep in mind this murderer, he's only 26 years old. He accumulated a felony when he was a juvenile so here's somebody who before he's even 18 he's been convicted of a felony and he ended up spending time at lincoln hills which tells me he probably if you went to lincoln hills he, he probably the felony he was convicted of was pretty serious and my guess is there was a lengthy criminal record before that because you would rarely go to lincoln hills as a juvenile right out of the box so anyhow The guy gets out, as near as I can figure on on this, he he robs a liquor store in Racine in uh, December of 2014. But I, I don't think he's caught for that right away because he must have been out on the street because in September of 2015, he gets convicted of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. And disorderly conduct he's again convicted of disorderly conduct in 2016 and ultimately he gets sent to federal prison for using a gun during a robbery in a liquor store so they're in Racine. so there's a lot going on with this guy multiple run-ins with the law crimes of violence having a, a firearm and of course the dazzling detail that just makes you want to take a step back and say my god can this get any worse is the fact that he was released from federal prison, four days, four days before he takes his mask, takes his gun, and walks into that bar in machine for the purpose of committing an armed robbery, and murders the police officer in cold blood. He had only been out of federal prison for four days. And then he immediately turns to, to crime again. So now what does this tell you? First of all, it, it tells you, number one, you can have all the gun laws that you want. Alright? And, and it's not going to stop the criminal element from committing these crimes. He'd only been out four days. He was a multiple felon. He was, He was on, you know, he's, he's on supervised release, which is like parole. Well, obviously, that the threat of going back to prison didn't discourage him. The conditions of his release didn't discourage him. He apparently had no trouble getting a weapon. And most importantly, he had no problems using the weapon in commission of the crime. This guy is a career criminal who hopefully now will be sent to prison for the rest of his life. I ask ret- Autorically, explain to me again why Wisconsin doesn't have a death penalty, because in this particular situation, we being the taxpayers will now be paying to feed and house this guy for essentially the rest of his natural life, because hopefully if he is in fact convicted, no judge in the world is going to be stupid enough to let him back out on the streets ever Four days. Four days from being released from the federal pen to committing a murder of an off-duty police officer. If that's not a record, I, I don't know what is, and it's a record you hope not to set. But again, here you have somebody, the dangerous career criminal, in and out of prison since he was a juvenile, released after only serving probably a couple years, and now you have an officer that's dead. And unfortunately, in today's day and age, more and more of the district attorneys, more and more of the prosecutors, more and more of the judges, they want to go the other direction. They don't want to warehouse dangerous people. They want to turn them loose on the street. And when you do that, this is what you end up having. All right, so you've got that. You've got the fact that you've got all these different gun laws, and none of them apparently were able to deter... The Quav- del Delquavious Ward four days out of the pen from getting a gun and using it on an off-duty police officer, which brings me to the story. I want to open up the phone lines and get your reaction on. I cannot believe the mayor of Madison said what she said All right over the weekend. They have a big 4th of July party. It was Saturday night. They have a big fireworks show out in in downtown Madison. It's, it's a huge event. It's kind of like the 3rd of July fireworks around here. Um, and, and a big, big festival gets a lot of people. It is attended by thousands of people. It's called Shake the Lake Fireworks. If you haven't heard this story, right as the fireworks are ending, Some idiot with a gun fires the gun, fires some shots. The crowd panics, understandably so, when you hear these gunshots going off. And people start running. It is like a stampede as people are are just running. And, And actually, the greater danger, as it turns out, was from people getting trampled as opposed from people fleeing the gunshots. So people start running. One guy suffers non-life-threatening injuries, a police officer falls, is not, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but he goes over a concrete barrier, he's injured, thankfully nobody nobody is, is seriously injured as a result of this, and my understanding is they, they haven't caught the person who, who fired the gunshots. But I mean, it's, it's obviously this very, very volatile situation, you have some idiot who's got a gun, shoots it, and then it starts this stampede, could have been a lot worse, all right, so into this wades the new mayor of Madison. And you know she's talking about how and this is, you know, this is an atypical sort of thing. Um it you know it it's it's unfortunate that this happened, but this is a, like an outlier as far as things and all all that's fine. Okay, all that's fine. And then she takes this situation, some idiot shooting off a gun at the end of this fireworks thing, and she uses this to blame the Republican-controlled legislature for its failure to pass tough gun laws. Our job is made more difficult by a state legislature that advances reckless gun laws and at the same time curtails the rights of cities to take further action. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. Exclu- excuse me, but color this mayor completely and totally clueless. All right, just like you have a myriad of gun laws that made it illegal for this career criminal to have a firearm and to use it and to shoot that off-duty police officer, and he didn't care about those gun laws, my guess is you could pass all the gun laws that you wanted, and it wouldn't have changed the fact that you had some idiot at the fireworks on Madison on Saturday night, who decided to shoot the gun? My guess is when they catch the guy, number one, it's going to turn out that the gun was illegally owned. It's going to turn out that the gun was illegally possessed. And it's certainly true that the gun was illegally used by shooting it. And yet the mayor, oh, this is the Republican legislature for, you know, advancing reckless gun laws. My guess is if they catch the person that did this, you will find that he or she was in violation of probably at least a half dozen or more gun laws and it didn't discourage them. All right. Is it fair to blame Republicans in the legislature for reckless gun laws or is this? Well, maybe you need to look inside, and maybe maybe this is one where, you know, we, we have to concentrate more on getting the bad guys off the street. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 1620 She uses this incident to take a cheap political shot at the Republicans in the legislature. I think it is, number one, misguided, and number two, shameful. We discuss.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: glad to have you with us. I admit, this is the type of stuff that just absolutely makes my head explode. Here's a text. Jeff, maybe if the liberal judges and criminal justice system, particularly in Dane County, actually prosecute pre- prosecuted people for existing gun laws, we would not have a problem. Um, yes, yes. That's exactly the idea. Madison police were talking about the shooting that occurred at the end of the fireworks party, the Shake the Lake thing that they have in Madison that ended on Saturday night. Somebody shoots off a gun. What the police are saying is they think the individuals involved in the shooting knew each other, and it was not a random act. Okay, so the shooting, people panic when they hear gunshots, and, and everybody starts running, and it could have been a really bad situation. All right, the Madison mayor says, oh, this is the part of the, these reckless gun laws passed by the state legislature. My point is, Really? My guess is, first of all, it it is a crime to shoot at somebody else. My guess is the person who did it probably is not legally allowed to possess a firearm, much less use it. You've got all these different types of gun laws. What is this lady talking about? And and I think it, it really... I I guess I understand, you know, this kind of like knee-jerk political reaction that you get to these things, but really, this isn't the problem. My guess is, like I say, when they catch the person that was involved in the shooting, what do you want to bet this person is out on some form of supervised release or probation or whatever for other crimes, not legally allowed to own the gun? Why don't we talk about what the real problem is? All right, we are joined now by Milwaukee County Circuit Judge borowski judge good afternoon
3: afternoon jeff how are you
1: i am well thank you okay the mayor says this is the legislature and the reckless
0: gun laws
3: well i'll be blunt uh that's moronic um i mean i've been on the bench for 15 years jeff i've handled hundreds hundreds probably thousands actually of cases involving guns everything from a homicide to shootings carjackings recklessly endangering safety people that are going to break the law that are going to bring a gun to a festival and fire it off. People who are going to shoot at or kill a police officer, people that are going to carjack uh, an elderly lady on the south side, do not follow gun laws. Right. Here's the newsflash. If you're willing to risk life in prison, you don't care about the potential five years for a felon in possession of firearm. And it's just preposterous to say that because that allows the mayor to not deal with what the problem is, which is, personal behavior supervision by the department of corrections maybe not enough security at that event who knows but oh yeah, god right. well, well right up.
1: exactly it's right it's easy enough. thanks a lot for the call that's judge david borowski milwaukee county circuit judge absolutely I, I i didn't use the word moronic but the judge did and you know what the judge is right it, it, it is a moronic comment uh, again all sorts of things have to happen there's all sorts of things that you can blame starting with the person that brought the gun there And like i say the police think that this was the police think that these were people that knew each other and so it was not necessarily a random type of act but again what do you want to bet that the person who did this wasn't legally allowed to own a firearm. Under no circumstances was he legally allowed to fire the firearm. And and probably, like I say, all sorts of other gun laws being violated as well. But then the knee-jerk reaction by the mayor of Madison is, well, th- this just shows how reckless the Republican legislature would be. Well, once we know who did this, my question is, will she denounce... What I believe was probably a reckless justice system that let this person back out on the street. But of course, we don't talk about doing that, particularly in the People's Republic of Madison. We, we, okay, the police are the enemy, don't you understand? And the police, they are an occupying force. And, and we need, we need more laws, but then at the same time, we don't want to allow the police to enforce the laws we have now. And we've got a circuit court bench out in Dane County that even if you enforce the laws, Well, okay, and even if you prosecute the people, all they are going to see is a slap on the wrist. Stuff like this just infuriates me. Coming up in a couple minutes, I want to see a show of hands. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. (laughs) So glad to have you with us. WTMJ listeners, don't forget about the Summerfest Big Shot Contest presented by Gruber Law Offices every day at 345 at the Gruber Law Offices Sports Zone. This is when Summerfest resumes tomorrow. The first 10 people to register will have a chance at a half-court shot. The first person to make it will receive a Summerfest prize pack, including two front-row wristbands for the U-line headliner that night, a $75 Summerfest gift card, and a Gruber swag bag. All right. I also have a note that says, remember to thank Major Goldsby's on air for providing food for all our employees. See, I haven't gotten any of that. I mean, I I, I know that they've come by and say want something, and I've passed on that. Actually, the the cool thing about Major Goldsby's is that they, before Summerfest opens, it's like this mini city. It's actually very cool to be there before the grounds open up, and, and they offer breakfast. They have a complete breakfast menu for people who are on the grounds beforehand, and it's really, really good. I used to, nowadays, I, I mean, I get down there by about 11, so I'm probably not going to have breakfast, but back back in the day, I used to do the morning show and stuff from there, and I'd, I'd, I'd grab something there, so Major Goulsby's. Major Goulsby's is apparently giving us on-air, uh, giving us food, so yes, thanks to that. All right, I have not seen... Any update on this Lizzo story? Remember the Lizzo story. Lizzo is the performer. Did a a, performed at the Harley stage in front of like ten thousand people on Thursday night. Apparently, it was a very, very good show. And afterwards, she sent out a a tweet um, saying that some racist security guard had, you know, had had attacked you know, her hairstylist and her stylist and it throwing them to the ground and all this type of stuff. And, and I mean, she, she accused this guard of racism and things like that. And Summerfest said that they would investigate. And, and as soon as she put this out, you, you immediately had thousands and thousands of people tweeting, oh Liz, oh, this is so absolutely terrible. And we apologize and you know, we want Milwaukee to love you. And oh, this isn't representative, etc., etc., etc. And my point at the time was, I don't know what happened. There doesn't appear to be any sort of footage of, of any of this stuff at all. But I, I will tell you, my, my detectors were, were up on this. And as I explained on Friday's program, I, I'm down at Summerfest a lot. Summerfest has an incredibly diverse staff that, that works there, whether it's the employees or whether it's the security guards, etc., And and, I mean, this isn't Selma, Alabama in 1954, where you've got an all white police force and you've got a largely black population. That's not what Summerfest is. Summerfest has incredible diversity. You You have lots and lots of white people and lots and lots of brown people and lots and lots of black people all working together. And of course, if you look at the the racial makeup of the performers, you have white performers, you have black performers. You have a very diverse crowd. So I guess I, I'm a little bit skeptical up front when somebody says, "Oh, there's this racist, you know, security guard backstage who, you know, treated the, the, my my folks in a in a very racist way." I, I mean, could it have happened? Yeah, it, it it could have happened. But again, it doesn't seem consistent. With a lot of the stuff that I, I, I the, just the racial makeup of the Summerfest guards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. My guess is, and I said this on Friday, and I say it again. My guess is there's two sides to this story, and it could very well be that you had a security guard that behaved in an improper fashion. That's a possibility, but before I'm going to condemn this guy and call him a racist, I, I think I want to hear what the investigation says about this. I mean, were these people that didn't have the right passes trying to get backstage? I, I don't know. But I mean, I think it's, it's one. And one of the things that we have seen over the, the years, uh, most recently with the high profile Jussie Smollett thing, is that, you know, sometimes when people make these claims, especially that this incredibly charged claim of racism I think you always want to just take a step back and wait and find out what the, the facts are instead of everybody saying, oh, this is what had to happen, and we're outraged. That actually, the, the the guy that writes the columns and does the reviews, he's even got a piece about that. Oh, this is just a terrible that th- this happened. Well, all right, my question is, again, what exactly was it that happened? And secondly, you know, what is it that makes it uh, racist? I mean, again, if this is, for example – if it's somebody that doesn't have—and I don't know it—but if it's somebody that doesn't have the right passes on to get to a certain area backstage, and a security guard stops them, does it matter if that person is white or black or brown or green if they don't got the right pass? If they don't have the right passes, I'm just saying. Well, anyhow, um, Lizzo. Uh, She's weighing in again, and we still don't have any definitive word on what exactly it is that happened. But apparently there were people that were kind of making this point that I was making, saying, uh, all all right, you know, before you start throwing in the, the racism term, you know, maybe, you know, we should have a better idea of what happened. And so here's what she says. This is her last tweet. Love it. Friendly reminder, you don't have to say the N word to be racist. That's not the sole requirement. Asking people to prove racism is another tool the oppressor uses to marginalize and discredit us. Right. Asking people to prove racism is another tool the oppressor uses to marginalize and discredit us. In other words, if I say this is racist, uh, I don't have any obligation to prove this. You should just automatically assume that this had to be racist, that the person who did it had to be racist. How dare you Ask, you know, me to prove these sort of allegations. Well, okay, maybe in in some circles that's the way it works. But quite candidly, I don't think that's the way it should work. And again... I I don't know what happened. Maybe you had a security guard that was completely out of line. Maybe you had a security guard that behaved in a racist fashion. But before you start throwing these terms around, especially without any sort of evidence, and Summerfest says they're going to do an investigation, and my hope is that they end up making a statement, maybe even make the security guard available for comment to explain his side of the story and what it was that happened, until we hear all that, I'm saying this is one where, okay, again, maybe you just want to wait before you go into a rush for judgment. And if now the new standard is, well, anybody who screams racism, well, you shouldn't have to prove it at all because that's just the way to marginalize us. Well, I, I guess I would say, sorry, I'm not I'm not buying that. If you're going to accuse somebody of being racist, you, you at least better have the goods. There at least better be some objective basis for why you say that or otherwise – You shouldn't say it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. If Donald Trump
1: is reelected in November of 2020, you might be able to trace it back to last Thursday night. Now, let me back up. In 2018, you had Democrats that picked up a number of seats in the House of Representatives. This was not a liberal wave, though. What this was, was you had moderate Democrats in in districts that are either slightly Republican-leading or slightly Democrat-leaning that went Democrat, right? That, that's, that's where that election was won. It was moderate Democrats. Now, some Democrats have taken that to believe that, okay, now we need to take a hard turn. And, and this this liberal wish list... Here, that's what we're going to embrace because that's what we think the country wants. I think that's a huge misreading of where the country is, but it's where apparently a lot of people in the Democrat Party are. Last Thursday night, there was a telling moment that, mark my words, will be the subject of a 30 or a 60 second political ad that you will see over and over again. Where the moderator asked the 10 candidates on Thursday night, and this included former Vice President Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, um, all the people that were on the stage. All right, they were asked by the moderator if they, everybody raise your hand, if you would support a health care plan that covered undocumented immigrants. In other words, people in the country. Health care for everybody in the country. Every hand shot up, and I know among moderate Democrats that were watching that debate, like I say, I guarantee you're going to see this in a 30-second ad at some point in time, people just put their heads down and and, and shook their heads. Not even Barack Obama argued that we should provide government health care for people who are in this country illegally. So right now you've got at least 11 million, but you've got thousands of more that are coming in every day. The cost of doing this, I don't know, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars, Talk about wanting to make the United States a magnet. Boy, you know, if, you know, you're, you live in some other country and you want to get government provided health care. Here, let me get into the United States and sign up for it. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accunet Mortgage talk and text line. There are some people on the left that think that this is a winning issue, right? Government provided health care for people who are in this country illegally. I think that that, I just, I don't think that's a winning idea. But more importantly, I think that would be a disastrous idea because my question is going to be who is going to pay for this? Number one. and, And number two, I mean, face it, you know, we have enough trouble providing affordable health care in this country for American citizens. So now what we're going to do is we're going to provide health care for undocumented aliens. That's number one. Where is the money going to come from to do this? Number two, as a policy matter, doesn't this make the United States a magnet? If we are already, I mean, if our borders are already out of control, and by the way, several Democrat candidates believe that we should just have open borders—anybody who wants to come in, come on in—which is something that not too many countries in the free world have. But all right, let, let's let's do that. So then you come into this country, you're here illegally. Well, get ready for government provided healthcare. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Is that a good idea? Is this a good policy matter? Should we want to do this? My answer would be, have people lost their minds? 414-799-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. All right, is this a winning political issue? And more importantly, is is it the obligation of this country to provide health care for everyone who comes into this country illegally? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet
0: Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see, here's a text, Jeff. Like you just said, what a win for the Republican Party. This is a very, very bad idea. Another text, Jeff. As the Democrats progress further and further left and mass, even Obama would sign on to health care for illegals. At this point, remember the plan is to fundamentally change America. They're all in. We can't afford to allow it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That this is what is so interesting to me is again that the success Democrats had in twenty eighteen was essentially running against Donald Trump, and, and and saying, all right, we don't like the things that Trump is doing here. Here's our vision, and and it was kind of the anti-Trump thing. Now what you see is you have some people that think that this is our, our opportunity to remake America, and we want to do it in every way, shape, or form that we possibly can, and we don't care about how much money this costs, and by the way, the, the people – the people who are, are wealthy, well, they're evil anyways. Here's a text, Jeff. Can't we just tax the rich into oblivion? Or maybe big business can pay for it until a carton of eggs costs five bucks and a pack of screws at Home Depot costs five times more than today. Then the, all the rich people soaked by everybody else can saunter to a barkeep in island and say, give me a pint of Guinness. See, I mean, th- that's the dynamic of all this. I mean, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, they, they wave their hand and they say, well, we'll, somebody else will pay for it. We're going to go after Wall Street. We're going to go after this. We're going to go after that. Again, I I think in this in America today, you have legitimate issues that go on with the health care system. Right. And it's fair to have a debate about those issues in the health care system. You know, how do you get affordable, more affordable coverage for people? How can you lower the deductibles? All those different types of things. That's where I think the discussion needs to be. But if your principal campaign platform is going to be saying, "Okay, to people who are somehow able to come into this country and stay here against the law, that we are now going to provide a full range of medical services courtesy of the taxpayers. Well, that that's something I I think completely different. Maybe that has an appeal to 20 or 30 percent of the population. But I think, you know, in in general, that's not where we are. Okay, uh, Lou says. My fat head is exploding. We can't fund infrastructure. We can't fund the coming Social Security lapse. Our own health care for people with insurance is pricing higher than ever. We have inner city American children that don't eat. And now we're going to be arguing free health care for people that are illegal. This is going to lead to Trump winning by a landslide. Well, I I don't know, but it's. If you want to, and we're going to talk about something in the next hour of the program that I think fits in that same category, if you want to look at something that, that candidly makes it more and more likely that President Trump is going to be reelected, you start adopting these sort of policy provisions. And like I say, now it's on tape. You have 10 Ten of the people who want to be president of the United States, now they are on record raising their hands, saying free health care for people that are in this country illegally. All right, maybe that plays well in San Francisco. I'm not sure how well that plays in Flint, Michigan, or Green Bay, Wisconsin, or Scranton, Pennsylvania, or Orlando, Florida. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So,
1: Melissa, you ever had breakfast at Hardee's, the fast food place?
0: Oh, gosh, not for years, years and years.
1: Rue, you ever had breakfast at Hardee's? You're shaking your head. they have
0: those, those fresh buttermilk biscuits or something? Don't know. Oh, okay. But
1: but the controversy, because <laughs> yeah. I've never had this either, but the controversy, and, and if people wonder why I'm a recovering lawyer... This, stories like this are why I'm a recovering lawyer. <laughs> there is now a federal lawsuit that has been filed about the hash rounds, R O U N D S at 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 Hardee's. Oh yes. So apparently, and, and again, I. I don't, I'm sure we have Hardee's around here, but I, but you know, they're, they're the little, they're like little hash browns. Like at McDonald's, you get the thing and it's just like one, like oval, oval oval. thing. Mm -hmm. Well, at Hardee's, their equivalent of that is these, these little tiny things. I do
0: remember hash rounds. Hash rounds, right.
1: And so you can get them on the side or they they come with, if I'm on the Hardee's website now, if you order the Harvey, Hardee's breakfast platter Hmm. with bacon, you get, and I'm it doesn't even look at you get a couple hash hash rounds and you get scrambled eggs and a couple things of bacon and I these must be those those biscuits you're talking about and they're covered with like this white gravy yeah the gravy yeah right it just (laughs) I mean I'm looking at this and if my doctor or my wife is listening no I, I I'm just I'm looking at the picture this doesn't even look good anyhow how does this tie into Jeff you being happy that you are a recovering attorney here is the lawsuit of the day there's this guy who happens to be African-American, 58 years old, he he goes into a Hardee's restaurant, and I presume he orders like this breakfast platter. But whatever he orders, it's something that comes with hash rounds. So he gets his meal, he goes back to his table, and he says, I didn't get enough hash rounds. They, they, I, I, I'm supposed to, you know, normally... Normally, you get X number. Normally, you get at least six of these crispy, poppable potato rounds. All right. Normally, that's what you get. You get six. But he says, I've only gotten like three. Okay. So that, that's, that's his story. So he goes up to complain. Now, this guy is African American. The manager is white. So he complains. I, I, I didn't get enough hash rounds. I want more. And apparently they, they get into an argument. He says, the manager said, now that, that's what you, you get. He then says, I was devastated. I, I, I went home with a tear in my eye. I'm outraged. I have to do something. Now, by the way, he says in this, this discussion, this, this kind of argument, he got in with the manager. The manager said, I'm sorry you're unhappy. I'm going to refund your money. So they gave the guy his money back. But they didn't give him more hash rounds. They gave him his money back, and they sent him on his way. So he gets home. He's bent out of shape because he thinks he didn't get enough hash rounds. Even though he got his money back, he has now filed a federal civil rights suit um, in federal district court down in, I think it's like Charlotte, Charlotte North Carolina, saying that you know he was – the reason they gave him fewer hash rounds was because of his race. And the fact that they gave him his money back and sent him on his way—that doesn't make any difference. But he, you know, he—he's now suing because he claims his rights were violated. Now, I want to see a show of hands. Just in the last week, how many, how many people have been through a drive-through? Uh, you know, some Burger Doodle, Hardee's, McDonald's, Wendy's—you, you, you name it. Some Burger Doodle, and and what they found, and what you found is, you didn't get. Forget not getting enough hash rounds. You didn't get your French fries or you didn't get your Big Mac or you didn't get your quarter pound or you didn't get any of this. All right. I mean, how many times does this end up happening? And if in that situation you had confronted the manager and the manager had apologized and offered to give you your money back. All right. Would, would you say, no, I don't want my money back. I, I want to file a lawsuit. Now, my guess is this guy kind of copped an attitude with the manager who wanted to move him along, and so they gave him his money back and sent him on his way. Regardless, and maybe Hardee's is right in this, maybe they're wrong in this. You know, a lot of times you get the people that say, the customer is always right, and and that's actually that's not true. And I, I don't know all the circumstances, but this has now become a federal case lawsuit alleging a civil rights violation because the guy didn't get as many hash rounds as he thought he should, even though he got his money back. Do you think we perhaps have too many lawyers in this world that have not enough to do with themselves? I just asked that question, and when I saw this story again, it's kind of like, huh, this is one of the reasons I'm glad I am a recovering attorney. All right, another huge controversy that has bubbled up in the wake of the democrat debates last week joe biden was confronted by kamala harris the the senator from california over the issue of busing back in the 1970s joe biden opposed joe biden uh, busing was forced busing was a huge issue joe biden opposed the federal government coming in and issuing mandates for busing all right um he said, look, if we're going to have busing, I think local communities should agree to do that. He opposed the federal mandates. Kamala Harris hits him, saying, oh, I was, you know, this was so terrible. I was somebody who, you know, was able to take advantage of, of, of busing, you know, back in Los Angeles or, or wherever she was ended up growing up. And so now this has become a huge issue. And you have a number of candidates who have now decided they want to go back to the mid-'70s. And they have decided that they now support – mandatory federal federally ordered busing in other words the idea is if you have schools that are segregated too many persons of color um, what we would do is we would have the government come in and say okay we're going to take all right. For example, the Africa, a certain percentage of the African-American kids that are at some of these heavily, for example, black schools. And, and we're going to we're going to bust them. We're going to bust them across town. We're going to force integration. Now, this is something that happened in, in the 70s was very, very controversial. And a lot of people think it, it ultimately did not work because what happened is you had a number of families and communities across the state and the, the country who just who, who just decided to move right No, you know we're not going to have our kids we're not going to have our kids bust so we're going to move to the suburbs we're going to move out of some of these urban areas and i think a lot of people say that you know mandatory federally ordered busing led to i think declines of the cities in some respects because it led to uh, again a degree of white flight in wisconsin and in Milwaukee in particular, we never had mandatory busing. You had the 220 program, which was done away with a couple of years ago, but the 220 program was a voluntary program where you had certain suburban schools that would agree to accept X, X number of kids from – from the, the inner city. And it wasn't just black kids, it was Hispanic kids, etc. cetera. And, and so we had that. The 220 program no longer exists. And of course, you know, in, in Wisconsin, we also have the open enrollment thing where you have kids who can again, it, it's, a, it's a voluntary, it's an optional thing, but you have kids that can transfer to any school district in the state that they want. Our number is 414 799 1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Federally ordered busing for the purposes of desegregation was incredibly, incredibly divisive in the 70s and and the 80s, and in some cases... I guess it worked to desegregate the schools and improve educational qualities. In other communities, it was, number one, divisive, and number two, it was absolutely destructive. And so now you've got 1975 calling. You have a number of Democrat candidates who want to see us return to mandatory busing in an effort to desegregate urban schools. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Alright, do we want to be bussing kids across town or across city limits in an effort to encourage desegregation? Is is this really an issue in 2019 that we need to embark on to help desegregate the public schools? I would argue bussing really didn't work very well in many parts of this country in the 70s and 80s, and I sure don't think it would work any better in 2020. But this is the idea that's out there now. All right, do we go back to mandatory busing? 414-799-1620, that's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So glad to have you with us. All right, busing is back in the news. Now, busing was something that was big in the 70s and 80s. In Wisconsin, at least in southeastern Wisconsin, and around Milwaukee, you had the 220 program, which was, was voluntary. By the way, by voluntary, I mean suburban school districts agreed to participate in it. It was a way that they resolved a lawsuit that was out there. At its peak in the, uh, sometime in the 80s, you had about 6,000 minority students and about 1,000 white students that participated. The 220 program does not exist anymore. But the idea behind busing is here, you know, we, we want to desegregate the schools. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take primarily minority children of the inner city districts and we're going to bust them across town or across city lines or whatever in an effort to force mandatory desegregation. Joe Biden, back in the 70s, opposed federal Federal busing. He said, look, I think this is a local matter. That's now become an issue. Kamala Harris says, I support busing. The schools of America are as segregated, if not more segregated today than when I was in school. We need to put every effort, including busing, into play to desegregate the schools. Bernie Sanders He's now out with a statement today. He's not going to let her get to the left. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. think that this is what we need to do. Um, I think, you know, more and more schools are being segregated. We have to deal with it, and busing is the way to go. 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. John in Menominee Falls writes, Jeff, busing will not work. My brother went to the falls and said um, ever since they started busing, they've had fights. Um, he says he thinks the quality of school is, is is going down every year. Don't know about that one way or the other. But what happened as a reality when you had in many in many communities, when you had this mandatory busing, what you did is you had you had parents who did not want to participate in this. And so what they ended up doing is they simply moved out of the school district. That I mean that's that's one of the realities that's there. Now, obviously, do you have an, an issue with a segregated school system? Right, right. you do. And one of the things that I think Wisconsin has done to try to deal with that has been, for example, the, the open enrollment type of thing, and and that appears to me to be working relatively well. But that's far different from saying, okay, you've moved into the – you, you've moved into the Glendale Nicolet School District, and you're living in Glendale, but we've decided that, uh, the, the area districts are, are too segregated, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take your kid, and we're gonna send them, and we're gonna send them, uh, across town, and we're gonna give your kid's spot to somebody else. I, I just, I don't think that that's where we are anymore. 799-1620, that's the AccUnit Mortgage talk and text line. Alright. I, again, this to me is 1975 calling and wanting its issue back. Let's talk to Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon.
3: Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. I remember back in the '70s, people in Milwaukee bought homes in areas where the schools were good, and people wanted to move there so their kids go good schools. Right. And this busing thing kind of moved all everyone everywhere all around, so all the schools became more or less mediocre. And the people that could afford to move out, you moved, moved out. out. To
1: right. Yeah, that that's I mean, that's one of the practical realities of this is that you had a lot of I mean what they called white flight. You had you had people right. who were, you know, moving because they didn't want to have their kids bust. And and I mean some people saw this as oh, this is just I mean, they have to be incredibly racist. And other people was like, no, we just don't want our kids being, you know, we, we moved into a particular area, this is what we wanted. I think the open enrollment system, you know, where you can – where if there's vacancies, you can go anywhere in the state. I I think that's a great thing, and and maybe you can argue that should be expanded, but, I mean, I just – I just can't believe, Mike, that we'd get to a situation where we really want the federal government coming in and coming to Milwaukee or to Racine or Green Bay and saying, OK, we're, we're going to take these schools and we've got too high a percentage of this type of kid and we're going to bust them across town. I I just don't think people would stand for that nowadays.
3: Uh, I think it's pretty much like a dictatorship kind of thing or whatever.
1: Right. Well, thanks to calling. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And to me, this this is another one of these examples of where you have a drift among the democrat party not forget a drift i mean it's just an onrush to the far left and it's this idea of okay we're we're going to have the federal government come in and we're going to have the federal government come up with these sort of solutions. And again, you know, I mean, for example, Joe Biden, I, I kind of feel sorry for Biden because Biden actually didn't oppose busing. He opposed the federal government coming in and mandating it. He said, look, I, I if you want to if you want to use busing for purposes of desegregation, that's fine. But, you know, let's let let's do it on the local level. Let's let's allow Milwaukee to decide, you know, what they want to do. We don't want the, the giant federal government coming in and saying, okay, this is how we're going to, to handle it. But yet this is this is the issue. And I will just give, you know, putting my political advisor hat on, if you want to – if you are a Democrat who wants to beat Donald Trump and you want to lose a lot of blue-collar Democrat voters, the, the Reagan Democrats, okay, you – you start talking about saying, okay, well, what we're going to do is kids aren't going to neighborhood schools anymore. You know, what we're going to do is we're going to put your kid on a bus, and we're going to send your kid, you know, 20 miles or whatever across across town. Let's talk to Sherry in West Allis. Sherry, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hello. Hello. Uh, I was just saying that um, my husband took a new job during that, uh, that time in the early 70s, and they had, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. We were in Mecklenburg County. They had forced busing. Um, I, we didn't know what was going on. Right. So all these yard signs that said no forced busing, and, and nothing like that was going on in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, so it, it got a little scary too, because people were very, very angry. Um, but, uh, and we came back to Milwaukee, and um, people were upset here too, even mm-hmm. with the 220, because they said my kid can't walk to school or walk home from school. Your friends, uh, their right? You friends you
1: move in. You moved in a community friends. because you wanted to send your kids to Green Tree Elementary School, and all of a sudden, you're told, "Well, no, because you know there, there's too many of X type of kids at Green Tree. Your kid yeah. can't go to that school. We're gonna put them on a bus, and we're gonna send them 30 minutes away to some other school." No, people well, didn't like they
2: that. Had, they had their neighborhood friends. They played at the playground. They could walk there, and
1: people were upset. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no. I, I mean, thank you. You're right. I mean, for it, it's it is interesting to me that we're we're now raising again some of these issues, and I I gotta believe that there's a lot of moderate Democrats out there who want to beat Donald Trump, but are just putting their head on their on the table saying, okay, we're really talking about this very, very divisive, controversial thing that, okay, Kamala Harris thinks it worked. A lot of people think busing did not work. And I'm, and I'm talking about the mandatory federal busing. Think They think it didn't work. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, whether you thought it worked in the 70s or 80s or not, we don't need to go back to the future on that particular issue. Time will tell whether this emerges as a campaign
0: issue or not. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So I saw this story out of the new Philadelphia school district. And and just like I got it, i be honest, just like Melissa, I assumed, oh, this is somewhere out of Philadelphia. But thinking that if I said that on the radio, somebody would immediately say, Hey, buddy, it, it's it's not there. I decided to check. And, yeah, New Philadelphia, is. it's not in Philadelphia. It's not in Pennsylvania at all. It's in Ohio. New Philadelphia is a community. Um, it's about, I don't know, 90 miles south of Cleveland I- in Ohio. So you go to Cleveland, then you go to Akron, and then you go to Canton, where the Hall of Fame is, and then you go further south, and you're in New Philadelphia, why are we talking about New Philadelphia? Well New Philadelphia, Ohio, in their school district, they have they have a middle school there. And in the middle school, they have had a plaque. And on the plaque I hope you're sitting down for this because I know some people are going to be shocked. The plaque that has been in the middle school is is it's the Ten Commandments. Now how did the Ten Commandments plaque get into this particular middle school that you might ask. Well, here's the deal. In a kinder, simpler time, um, in 1926, the class of 1926 made a gift of the Ten Commandments, the, the, this plaque, they made it a gift to the school district in 1927. So to the best of anybody's knowledge... This plaque has been displayed at the middle school. It's called Wealthy Middle School in New Philadelphia. It has been displayed for over 90 years. And it's, it's viewed as, as they describe it, it's a part of the tradition and the history of the New Philadelphia City Schools. And again, it's, it's not it's not just the religious significance, I guess, of this, the, the Ten Commandments, but it's, all right, This it's not taken on a historical no- connotation because, again, this was a gift from the class of 1926 to the school district, and now you have the, this plaque that has been displayed for, again, going on 90 years with regard to this. So it's kind of a histo- piece of the school district's history. It, it has never been the subject of of controversy at all until recently our friends from the Wisconsin Madison based Freedom from Religion Foundation sent sent a letter to the school district saying how dare you have this plaque in the schools and if you don't remove this plaque immediately because a quote unquote concerned parent had recently reported to the Freedom from Religion Foundation that the plaque was near the auditorium entrance. If you don't immediately remove this plaque, well, then what we're going to do is we are going to commence litigation, and, you know, we're going to sue you. And, by the way, if we're able to prevail, you know, we're going to be able to get attorney's fees and all these types of things. Now, the school district, for its part, maintains that in this context, the the Ten Commandments... It's really not an advancement of or establishment of of religion, but now it's, and I guess some people might see it that way, but there's also this whole history behind it. This is the gift from the class of 1926. This is now, you know, it's a part of the history of the schools, and it has a meaning beyond, you know, Moses and the Ten Commandments. But nevertheless, the school district got together, and they said, well, okay, here's the problem. You know, if we were to fight this, we're probably looking at legal fees. Could be half a million. Could be a million dollars. And, and maybe, maybe we could win. Maybe the Supreme Court would be willing to take a look at this and say, okay, that this isn't going to be a problem. But what they said is, you know, we we just. You know, we we don't think that it's given all our other needs. We don't think that we can commit to spending half a million or a million dollars in legal fees. So as a result, they've said to the Freedom From Religion Foundation, please, please don't sue us. Um, We will take the plaque down. So 90 years, 90 years with no objections, this plaque outside the auditorium, it has now been removed. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. All right, should they have been able to display this Ten Commandment plaque as they have done for the last 90 years? At some point in time, and again, this is kind of like crosses and things like that. I understand Ten Commandments certainly has a religious component too, but after, I don't know, 90 years, does it also have an historical component? Perspective as well. Should the school district have had to remove the plaque? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And what about the concerned parent who was offended by the Ten Commandments plaque? Is this somebody that has a legitimate beef, or is this just some whiny complainer looking to cause trouble? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I don't think. I hope, I I wish they would have fought this because I would have liked to have seen the Supreme Court review this because my guess is the current version of the court would have let them keep the plaque. Should they have kept the plaque? Should they have been forced to remove it? Is there anything wrong with this Ten Commandment plaque outside the auditorium? 414-799-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: See, I would argue that when you have in this case that this Ten Commandments that's been there since in the school since 1927 as a gift from the class of nineteen twenty six. For some people, maybe they see the the religious significance. Other people might just see it as an historic document. So I I don't know that it has an exclusively religious purpose. I would have loved to have seen the school district fight this, because I'd I'd love to see the Supreme Court, just like they did with the the Peace Cross a couple weeks ago, I'd love to see them decide this, because I think some of their other rulings on separation of church and state are, are wrong. On the other hand, I'm sympathetic to these local school boards when they, they deal with bullies, like the bullies at the Freedom from Religion Foundation, who threaten lawsuits, and they're saying and the school districts say, well, okay, it's, it's, it might cost us a million dollars to defend this. It's just easier to capitulate, and that is unfortunate. Doug in go, Doug, you're on WTMJ.
3: Jeff, as a lawyer, did I hear you right? So if the Freedom from Religion Foundation sues the school district and wins, not only does the school district have to pay whatever the judgment is, they have to pay the freedom from religion's legal fees.
1: Possibly. Is some cases, I, yes. It depends on how they go ahead, ahead and sue, but possibly.
3: Our, well, we need to change our legal system. I know it's impossible because most of our politicians appear to be lawyers, but loser has to pay. So if you but, but, okay, but, lose, right, but not only do you lose the judgment, you have to pay... <laughs> In addition to the judgment, you have to pay their but, legal fees. Okay, but but so even so,
1: for, but I mean, imagine you're okay. You're this local school board. And it's a relatively small town, and you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, it, it's maybe we win, maybe we lose. Um, you know, we think we're in the right. We think we've got interesting arguments, but you know, do, do we really want to bet you know half a million or a million dollars of taxpayer money on that? I mean, that's but
3: see, uh, it's lose lose. All right, the freedom for religion foundation has nothing to lose they have lawyers that probably right. work for them exactly it doesn't cost them anything so the school district is in a no-win situation yep. even if they win they get nothing from the freedom from religion foundation yes to yes. me they need to change the system so if you bring these ridiculous lawsuits and you lose then like, you have to pay the school district
1: like a loser pays thing yeah thanks for going and yeah. it's that, i mean in in certain areas of the law it, it's like that but but, I mean, look, I would have loved to have seen them fight this, too. And, and I would have loved to have seen them make the argument that I just made, that, yes, for some people there is there is there is a religious significance in the Ten Commandments. But it's it also it's an historical document. And, and by the way, there, there's also a local historical element to it, given the fact that it was donated in 1926. Uh, so it, it's part of the local history of the school as well. So there's a non-religious context. I would have loved to have seen them make that argument. Now, maybe... Maybe the justices of the Supreme Court just say, "Oh no, no, it's the Ten Commandments. This is Moses. It's nothing else. You, you can't, you, you can't remove it." Now, again, they just decided a case a week or two ago where you know people, a similar sort of group, you know, another atheist type of group, objected to this giant cross that was a a world war one memorial that had been up since like 1913 and the supreme court said no there, there's no problem with this cross yes some people will look at it and they'll say the religious cross but other people will look at it and see it as a war memorial which is what it is intended to be but i i'm sympathetic and don't don't get me wrong i i'm sympathetic to the school board and the dilemma that they're in when they're saying okay look we've got all these other battles to fight can we, we just can't afford to do it, so we're, go- we're, we're going to cave in. And the Freedom From Religion Foundation counts on that when they go and pick up these things. And And by the way, wouldn't you love to know the one, quote-unquote, concerned parent who, for something that had been up there for 90 years, now becomes concerned about this? You want to talk about somebody who, what would be the phrase, desperately needs to get a life? Let's talk to Scott in Johnson Creek. Scott, you're on WTMJ.
3: Um. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, my take on this case is that I would like to see the district fight it. But an overall question which I have is, why are there not groups out there who can oppose the actions of the Freedom Religion Council and and fight in fact the school district where financially? Mm-hmm. Are, are there groups out there that can do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, right there, there are, and, and sometimes you know they they come up, but there there are. Let me, thanks for Let me let me address that directly. Here's what the school district said. Um, they said, despite offers from local law professionals to help the district, the costs of defending are substantial. In addition to funding multi-year litigation, the district will divert staff. Time and energy from our true purpose, which is student learning. Even more troubling, if the district's case is unsuccessful, um, the Freedom From Religion Foundation can seek to have the district pay their legal fees. So that must be... This must be one of the cases where they could collect, which have, in at least one instance, exceeded $900,000. Clearly, challenging the legal issue would be an enormous risk and a burden to local taxpayers. So, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, th- there are groups that will come forward, and you see this sometimes, and they'll they'll fight this, and they'll volunteer their time, but there's still there's still a huge risk on the part of school districts for taking this battle on. And at the end of the day, th- the school districts... They want to educate the kids. That, that, that's their purpose. Meanwhile, you have the, these people at the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and their purpose is to scour the country to try to I don't know, find examples where they think there's, you know, government involvement. Oh, my gosh, there, there's this government, the government has is intertwined with religion. In this particular case, you settle on this Ten Commandments plaque that has been causing absolutely no problems at all for anybody since 1927. But yet, this is the thing that you end up getting singled out for. It, it is unfortunate. It's the way of the world nowadays. And one of the things that's most unfortunate is again, I wish the Supreme, I wish somebody would take a case like this up to the Supreme Court, just like that decision with the cross a couple weeks ago. I, I think this new Supreme Court might take a different look. On the whole question of separation of church and state, and I think that would be good. Unfortunately, it's not going to come in this. Um, it's not going to come in this particular case. The Ten Commandments—they are gone. When we come back, Bud Selig speaks, and he's got some harsh things to say about somebody that might surprise you. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Summerfest dark today. Back tomorrow and we'll be broadcasting live starting at twelve noon. Be sure to tune in. Also, don't forget about the Summerfest Big Shot Contest, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. Every day at 345 at the Gruber Law Offices Sports Zone. The first ten people to register have a chance at a half-court shot. The first person to make it receives a Summerfest prize pack, including two front row wristbands for the U-line headliner that night, a $75 Summerfest gift card, and a Gruber swag bag. All right. This is a really big week for the Milwaukee Brewers. the The All Star break is is on Sunday. The Brewers, let, let's face it, they, they've had a very up and down first half of the year so far. Um, but still. The, the good news is, despite that, they're, they're in a tie for first place with the Chicago Cubs. All the teams in the Central Division, I think you know, the Brewers and the Cubs are tied. Pittsburgh, uh, uh, St. Louis is three games behind, and then there's Pittsburgh, and then there's the Reds. Everybody's within like six and a half games. So even though the Brewers, again, it's been kind of an uninspiring first half, and I think a lot of teams are disappointed, they're still in first place. They are tied for first place. Now this week is important because if you will remember last year, kind of before the All Star break, you know they they didn't do very well. They went to Pittsburgh and lost five games in a row. They kind of limped into the All Star break. This year they're tied for first place. So this week they've got four games in Cincinnati, three games in Pittsburgh, and you know if if they're able to do well, if they're able to win five out of seven or something like that they're they're going to be in in good position going into the all-star break so it's very exciting you can hear all the games here on news radio 620 wtmj but i was thinking about baseball because bud selig former owner of the brewers former commissioner of baseball Bud, has come out with with this book and i've only read excerpts of it And, and let me give you i mean Bud Selig is a friend. I mean, we're not close personal friends, but we we know each other to talk to in restaurants, and we we have a number of of close mutual friends. And I have the greatest respect for for Bud Selig. I I, I really do. He's got this book, and he's it, come out, and it's about you know his life and this, the, the the different things and the brewers, and then his years as the commissioner of baseball, etc. You. If you were around in the 90s, the late 1990s, you remember the battle over Miller Park. I still have the psychic scars that I carry around arguing that we should have a, a stadium. But it was extremely controversial. It ended up costing uh, George P. a senator from, state senator from Racine, it ended up costing him his job. Uh, Tommy Thompson famously at one point in time said, Oh, stick it to the people in Milwaukee. You know, they're not going to have to pay the stadium tax. He was up north when he said that. Not the governor's finest moment, but it, it's part of the, this thing. Well, anyhow. Bud Seelig has written about this and I'm looking at a, a synopsis and I haven't like I said I haven't seen Bud's book yet but it's um it, the business journal says He says, this is Bud, when I look back on it, I still shake my head at how painful the process became. It really didn't have to be that contentious. We were uh, desperately trying to stay here to make baseball work in Milwaukee for decades to come. There was no other agenda. And then he says, I witnessed some of the worst, most Machiavellian behavior you can imagine. I have politicians, including our governor at the time, Thompson, and our mayor, John Norquist, routinely say, say one thing to my face and do the opposite behind my back. So, call it out Tommy Thompson and John Norquist. I'm not surprised about the John Norquist stuff. Maybe a little bit about Tommy Thompson. It does make me kind of want to read the book. All right, 159, Jeff Wagner. Stick around. We've got a great third hour of the program coming up.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon,
1: Wisconsin. Welcome back. Quick reminder, Summerfest, dark today. They, they close on Mondays. They've done that since 2010. And we'll be back broadcasting live from Summerfest starting at noon tomorrow when the gates open up. Matter of fact, I'm going to go to the... Um, I'm gonna be late. I, I'm going to be dragging on Wednesday. I can tell because we're going to be going to the Lionel Richie show. So we're gonna. So I'm gonna do the show, then come back and pick up my wife, and then we're gonna go meet some friends, and I think kind of drive down together and go see the Lionel Richie show, and maybe hang around. I I don't know, Gru. You you closed Summerfest on Thursday. It's been a long time since I closed Summerfest, but I might might try to do it. Might try to do it tomorrow night, which. Will make for a long day on Wednesday the third, but that's okay. We'll we'll try. But in any event, weather forecast looks good. Summerfest 2019 resumes tomorrow. You've got six days left to enjoy all the great things. I understand that we we are a very divided country politically, and this is going to lead into what I want to open the phone lines with. But but at the same time, I just it it boggles my mind that. We, we are so rigid and myopic politically that, that we can't give credit where credit is deserved. And I'm talking about, you know, what happened over the weekend with President Trump. And I understand that there's, uh, there, there's people out there that just hate President Trump and there's nothing he can do. And this is this is so terrible. But you look at a couple things that came out of the aftermath of the, this G20 conference that he was attending first. You know, he went to the demilitarized zone and met with North Korea's dictator right now. As soon as he no U.S. president has done this, no U.S. president has been able to get North Korea in any sort of serious negotiations. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand what the dictator of North Korea is. I understand all the human rights abuses that go on in North Korea. I understand his tendency and potential for genocide. I understand that the guy is a maniac who is in certain respects trying to get access to nuclear weapons so that he can threaten the Korean Peninsula or Japan or the west coast of the United States or Hawaii. I, I get all that, all right? At the same time, I mean, I guess there's there's two ways to handle this, and one is All right, we're just going to nuke North Carolina, North Carolina, North Korea back into the Stone Age. Or maybe we can open up some diplomatic channels and and maybe we can hope to negotiate. Now, I understand trying to negotiate with North Korea is a long shot, but it's, it's worth a try. So what happens is so President Trump. All right. He has a conversation with um, you know, Kim Jong-un and, and, and he goes to the demilitarized zone and he, he goes and he has a meeting. You know, he he's the first U.S. president's been to North Korea. All right, it's an historic moment. Is it going to lead to anything? I don't know. But what is the harm? But yet I'm watching these headlines. One Democratic presidential contender after another upset that Trump would meet with the North Korean dictator. Oh this is terrible it's you know it's it's just nothing but a photo op. This is just awful you know that he would do this to w- to which I would say really i mean w- what is what is the alternative I mean it isn't the alternative if you if we agree that the best thing to do is to try to work out some peaceful resolution of this as opposed to hey we're going to start bombing North Korea. I mean, doesn't that start with a meeting between the two of them? And isn't that a positive step? And if Barack Obama or Bill Clinton had been able to do something like that, wouldn't he, that person, wouldn't Obama, wouldn't Clinton, wouldn't they have been in line for the Nobel Peace Prize? Look at this. Nixon went to China. Look at this. Trump went to North Korea. You would think that that was, if that was Barack Obama, I guarantee you that that would be the way it would be being played out on many of the major TV networks and certainly among, you know, Democrats. Oh, this is tremendous. Here you have the peacemaker. He's trying to work it out. But because it's Donald Trump, it's being denounced. Now, look, I don't know. If anything's going to come from this, I, I I don't. And I don't think you can trust Kim Jong-un as far as you can throw him. And I think North Korea poses a major, a major risk to the stability of the region and the world. All right. So I understand all that. And I don't know if Trump can make a deal with this guy that people can live with. Don't know about that at all. But I don't see any harm at all in symbolically, if nothing else, saying, okay, I'm here, I'm going in, I'm stepping into the demilitarized zone, and, and here I'm going to have a conversation. What possibly is the downside to that? And my guess is that any of those 24 people on the Democratic side that are running for president, you know, if they were the president and they had an opportunity to try to, Uh, again, have an in-person meeting and the chance to go at least for a brief conversation in North Korea, every single one of them would have jumped on it. But because it's Trump, it's terrible. Same thing is true about what happened with China. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I'm not a big believer in trade wars. And by threatening to increase tariffs and things like that, I think President Trump, I think he has unnecessarily... You know put certain elements particularly like wisconsin farmers and and their livelihood i think he's put them more at risk than they need to be all right so threatening a trade war with china candidly i'm not sure the united states can win that certainly not in the the short run all right but but one of the things that came out of this g20 meeting was sort of a side agreement that was cut with china and now the the trade talks are, are back on now they're back at the negotiating table, and, and now people are talking. Now, I, again, I don't know if we're going to get a deal with China or not, and I don't know what that deal is going to look like, and I don't know if that deal is going to be in the best interest of the United States. But but once again, I don't see a downside to saying, okay, we're we're not going to go ahead and impose massive tariffs. China's going to agree to, you know, buy more U.S. agricultural products. Thank you, Wisconsin. And and, and then we're going to see where this goes. We're going to continue to talk. In this area, continuing to talk, having a dialogue, trying to work something out, that is better than the alternative. But yet, again, in the national and the mainstream media, President Trump is getting no credit for that at all. I'm looking at one story after another saying, well, you know they're back talking, but obstacles remain. Well, yeah, obstacles remain. There, there are, there are major issues. The most notable one being, you know, when U.S. Pro, when U.S. companies, particularly um, a lot of electronic companies, when when they want to do business in China, they've got to give away their proprietary information. They got to show how stuff works, and then China takes that and, and essentially steals it. That's that's a big issue. I don't know if they can overcome that obstacle, but they're negotiating. They're talking again, and that's a good thing. But yet you read some of these stories, and again, oh, it's just, well, Trump's doing this, but we don't know if anything's going to come of it. Bottom line is the last few days were good for the president. They were really good for the president, a good couple days. But more importantly, they were good for the country, and it's unfortunate to me that Again, some people in the media and certainly the loyal opposition has such blinders on and it's just so mired in this Trump hatred that they can't see that, hey, maybe cutting a deal with North Korea would be a good thing. And, and maybe having at least a dialogue is a good step as opposed to, uh, again, bombing. You'd think people would think that's a good step. Maybe having a continuing dialogue with China and at least – all right, we're not going to impose massive tariffs and they're going to buy more agricultural products while we talk, you would think that that would be viewed as a good thing by everybody. But if you thought that, because it's President Trump, you would be thinking wrong. All right, when we come back, if it's your political opponent, does anything go? Stick around, I'll tell you the story.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Very glad to have you with us. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I I think you should be able to eat where you choose. I I bring this up because there's this growing militance, particularly on the left, where, gee, we don't like the people that that, um, are in power now, and we think they're evil, so we're going to... Well, we're going to react. You had the story a couple months ago about the, the Sarah Sanders, former press secretary, who was at this restaurant in Virginia and the owner came out and told her, you got to leave. You know, we, we don't, we don't serve your kind here, but essentially. Then there was the story last week about Eric Trump who was in this kind of high end bar in Chicago. Maybe you saw it and a waitress spits on him. She spits on him because well, I don't know, because he, he's Eric Trump. And the, the waitress got arrested, but interesting, to his credit, Mr. Trump said, I, I don't want to press charges. But but this is kind of the new norm. And you've seen this play out with with other political figures as well, where they've been denied service or accosted in public. Well, I bring this up because there's this op-ed piece in the Washington Post today, and it's written by the woman who owned that, that restaurant in Virginia, where they they tossed out Sarah Sanders, and it's it's interesting um, because she says when it comes to high profile collisions in restaurants, new rules apply. And this the woman who writes this is the co owner of this red hand red hand restaurant, and she was the one that tossed Sarah Sanders out. You know, Sarah Sanders wasn't being disruptive; it's just that you know you're you're not welcome here. And she goes on, and I, I'm not going to read you the whole piece, but the point of this is that. Well, you know, it always used to be that, you know, restaurants were places where, you know, people could come and they could get together and, you know, we, we would welcome everybody. But she says, you know, and, and yeah, I understand that, you know, spitting on Eric Trump last week. Well, you know, that that wasn't a, a good thing. But then you get the, the butt monkey that, that comes in and she says, well, um, here's why restaurants are, are doing this. Because at the bottom line, it's about values and accountability to values in business. Um, On a variety of levels, pressure is increasing on companies to articulate and stand by a code. Customers are demonstrating that they want to patronize companies that share their values. Our workforce also increasingly demands that employers establish a set of ethical standards. All right. Then she goes on. So this is the idea. Well, you know, companies have these sort of social obligations. Um, She says, the high-profile clashes rarely involve one citizen fussing at another over entrees. It is more often a frustrated person, some of whom are restaurant employees, lashing out at the representatives of an administration that has made name-trashing norms and breaking backs. Not surprising if you think about it. You can't call people your enemies by day and expect hospitality from them in the evening. So when the day comes that the world feels returned to its normal access... Presumably, that's when Elizabeth Warren gets elected president. I expect we'll see fewer highly charged encounters making headlines. In the meantime, the new rules apply. If you're directly complicit in spreading hate or perpetuating suffering, now that means, you know, you're a conservative, you're a Trump supporter. Um, then she says, maybe you should consider dining at home. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. So here's the thought, and this is what this woman is articulating now. If if you have political views that are different from the owners of the restaurants or the employees, and you are a high-profile person or you're presumably somebody who wants to share this, just stay home. Don't come to restaurants. Don't go out to bars because you can't expect the employees to, I don't know, listen to your – who don't agree with your politics, you can't expect them to serve you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acconet mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is that really where we are now, that if you're a Republican state legislator, for example – um, and you walk into a restaurant. Well, the restaurant servers they they shouldn't serve you if they disagree with your position on this. And I guess would be the flip side is you know if you know if you're if you're a liberal you know and you walk into a place where you know it's it's a conservative restaurant or you have a conservative waiter or waitress should they be able to refuse you service should they be able to insult you because well you don't represent their their values is this. Is this really the new norm that's out there? 414 799 1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. And my response would be I sure hope not. I mean, I, I, I sure hope not. And again, from this woman's perspective, it's the end of the world that the Trump administration is in power and the new normal will be, you know, once her side wins. Well, okay, if her side wins, does that mean that people that don't agree with her side, they should be insulted when they walk into restaurants and denied service and spit on or whatever? Let's start with Bob and Brown Deer. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Afternoon, Jeff. Uh, You know. I'm in public service, but I I don't get it why these business owners are chastising people with different political views. I would let anybody eat in my restaurant. I don't care what political view you have as long as you're giving me money and supporting my business. You know, Dick Sporting Goods, where does it end? Penzi Spices and everything like that. You know, if I was a business owner, again, I'd keep my mouth shut about my politics in public. Maybe friends and family would know my views. Facebook sure wouldn't. But come eat at my business. I don't care where you come from or whatever walk of life. I just want money and profit to sustain my business.
1: Well, well, right. I mean, that that's the that that's the thing that that's out there. You you are in in business, and if. Some prominent person, I mean, I don't know. if I'm a restaurant owner and, and somebody walks in and has made reservations and is dining at my restaurant and I found out that there was a server that was going up and was in their face or spitting on them or whatever because they disagreed with them, I would fire that particular server faster than you could say, you know, f- f- just, just in a flash because that's Absolutely. not what they're there for.
3: And I think this is could be a ploy as well, just to attract attention to these businesses, just to put them in the limelight for their two minutes of fame, and in the, in the end they fade away like the rest of them.
1: Yeah, well, could be. No, thanks. For, I mean, what? A, I got a text here. It that says that's the most moronic business plan ever. Let's lose fifty percent of our customers. Let's send out this note, and, and of course, this woman is proud of this. I mean, this, this woman is proud of this. So, well, yeah, you, we, you, yeah, yes, and it, it's unfortunate that we have to do this, but, I mean, if I disagree with this person's politics, I have every right to say, no, I'm, I, I'm going to be rude to them in public, and I'm not going to serve them. Well, okay, I mean, th- that's an interesting business plan, like I say, that you're then, given that we're a divided country, you're essentially putting up a sign that say 50% don't apply, but how are you going to feel when that shoe is on the other foot, when how would you feel if oh gosh, people in the Obama administration wanted to come to this restaurant and people said, okay, well we're not, I'm sorry, we're not, we're not going to serve you. Well, that's terrible. How could you be so incredibly narrow minded? But I guess this way, this is okay. It's the new normal. People are proud of of being rude. People are proud of. Is it the people are saying is this discrimination? Well, yes, it's discrimination, but but it's not illegal discrimination. I mean, people, you can discriminate for, we all discriminate. Some people like chocolate ice cream. Some people like vanilla ice cream. You can refuse service to anybody for any reason as long as it's not an illegal reason. And some, you know, you you can't say, I'm not going to serve you because of of your race. I'm not going to serve you because of your religion, but, you know, you, you, you can have other rules. Now, the truth is, most businesses don't decide to do that because they are in the business to serve as many people as they can. Not, I guess, if you run the Red Hen restaurant in uh, Virginia. Four one four seven nine. I'll tell you, we're going to move on to the next segment.
0: Let's take a very quick break. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. WTMJ. <laughs>
1: So very glad to have you with us. All right. I, I found this to be interesting. And this is from my perspective as a dog owner and a dog lover. One of the things that you always want to be able to do with your dog, especially when the weather is nice, is you want to be able to take him, or in my case, her, want to take her out for, for walks. And one of the great things to do is to find, you know, a, a county park where you can do that. Now, in general... I think the parks in this area, matter of fact, I was, I was at an event at a Washington County park. I mentioned this earlier over the weekend. Um, my wife's niece's son got it right. Mitchell was, he graduated from high school. He's going to Whitewater. So they had a graduation party at one of these parks and it, it was just absolutely tremendous. We had, they had reserved this camping area and grand. Granddad was uh, doing all the cooking and things like that. It was, it was a wonderful party, and we were there for a couple hours. And we kind of walked around this park. It was a Washington County park, and there were a couple people that were there, you know, with their dogs on unleashes. leashes. As a general rule, and it's a general rule, um, most of, but not all, but most of the parks are around here in the various counties. They they allow dogs now. There's there's rules. Um, there's a couple areas where they, there's a couple parks where they're like off leash and things like that. But in general, you know, your dog has to be leashed. Um, and then, for example, in Milwaukee County, as a general rule, and there's a couple exceptions. Um, you, you're not allowed to have dogs on beaches, or athletic fields, or picnic, or children's play areas. But as long as you stay away from those, and you pick up your dog's poop, you, you know you're, you're going to be okay. As a general rule, now there are some exceptions at certain other parks. But in, in Milwaukee County, for example, and to an extent in Ozaukee County and Washington County, they're they're very they're pet friendly and they're dog friendly. And so you see a lot of people saying, hey, let's go out and let's enjoy this park system and let's take our dogs. You know a place that might surprise you that is not dog friendly at all. And that would be the People's Republic of Madison. All right. Madison, of all places, has, has a law that has been on the books for almost 50 years, 46 years to be precise, that prohibits dogs in most parks, even if they're on a leash, are licensed and have vaccinations. Currently, Madison has about 270 parks, and dogs on leash are allowed in, in only about 26 of them, and then they have eight off-leash you know, dog parks. But the vast majority, about 90 percent of Madison parks do not allow dogs. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Net Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Currently, the city bans owners from allowing a dog on a leash to enter any public park, park building, um, with the exception of service dogs or law enforcement dogs. The overwhelming number of parks, they don't allow dogs. right, let's tee this up. All right, dog owners, dog haters, I would love to discuss this with you. I think a responsible pet owner has certain obligations. I think it's perfectly reasonable to say that if you're going to take your dog to a park, You've got to keep the dog on a leash and you have to keep the dog under control. I also think it is perfectly reasonable and just the norm to say that when your dog poops, you got to clean up the poop. All right. I've got that. And obviously you are responsible for keeping your dog under control. So it doesn't attack other dogs or attack small children or adults or things like that. So I'm all, I'm all in favor of that. But beyond that, Yeah, I mean, I think you should be able to take your dog on a leash and under control into a public park. And I think it's nothing short of outrageous that it, again, eight or nine out of ten parks in Madison, they don't let you bring your dog there. 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, are dogs on leashes with their owners in public parks. Is that something we need to crack down on, or is it something we need to encourage? We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. I am shocked that in the People's Republic of Madison, that pretty much allows and to an extent encourages any type of behavior known to man or beast that you can't bring dogs into most of the parks. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, Madison, of all places, has
1: a 46-year-old law that, as a general rule, nine out of ten Madison parks do not allow dogs, even leash dogs, into the parks. This is in contrast to most of the places around here that allow allow dogs as a general rule and again there, there's certain exceptions so I don't want to just say 100% but for example in Milwaukee County Parks dogs are allowed on leashes as a general rule except they can't be in children's play areas they can't be on the beaches they can't be on athletic fields but in general you know you can take your dog for a walk you have a responsibility of course to clean up after yourself okay here's here's two texts before we go to the calls um, no dogs in parks I think that's craziness well I do as well but here's another one At the soccer fields, people are allowed to take dogs. I've had my foot peed on as I watched the game. They said it wasn't that big a deal. I wanted to pee on their feet. Also stepped in dog crap as I was walking from the fields. Keep them at home. Okay, now, I I, I appreciate the texture there, but... First of all, if I'm standing at a game, I'm going to notice that there's a dog that's coming up to me to getting ready to lift his leg and pee. That ain't going to happen. I mean, I, I've never been so enthralled by a kid's soccer game that I wouldn't notice a dog peeing on me. I've been to a lot of soccer games, and I got to tell you, that particular scenario has never happened, so excuse me if I think maybe we're getting a little bit over dramatic. Uh, look, dogs Dogs are a vital part of a community. I think one of the great things we've got this beer garden at Esterbrook Park right across the way. Huge success, and one of the things that I think makes it a huge success is it is a welcoming place. And, and yes, I have over the years I've, I've, I've taken my my dog there, and and yeah, you have an obligation to. Again, make sure the dog's not going to pee on somebody's leg. I get that. But most people do that. I mean, are dogs in public places like parks? Is this really that big an issue? Do you need to ban them in Madison? Come on. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, Jeff. Hey, Hi yeah, you you made a real good point. I see a lot of what you're saying. Uh, and by the way, our family has a big 80-pound German,
2: German shepherd. We take him on walks, you know, et cetera. So I'm, I'm a dog fan. But I, the one thing I'm just going to say, and then you can talk some more about it. Unfortunately, Jeff, and you keep saying you know you got to be a responsible person, Jeff. There's a lot of people that aren't, yeah. And people get real tired of dog doo doo everywhere, yep. because of a lot of irresponsible people.
1: No, and Mark, yep. it, look, and I pre- Look, I, I I get it. I look, I I I appreciate that. But I, I guess it's interesting. As some people get older, they get to be. They get to be that grumpy old man. Hey, kids, get off my lawn! Or you know, gee, I, I, you know, we're we're, you know, you you have sparklers. How dare you have sparklers? Or, oh boy, you know, I I don't want I don't want that noise. It's it's too loud. There's people that are having fun. It, it, some people get older. They they get more like that. They get more like Grandpa Simpson. As I get older, I get the other way. I, I, I maybe it's this whole idea that that life is life is short. And you know, if if you want to. Go down and sit, and you want to watch the fireworks. Okay, you should watch. Be able to watch the fireworks, and if you want to reserve an area, as long as you do it, you know reasonably, I, you know that that's okay. You know, I mean, obviously, you can do it excessively, and, and I guess if it's like the the, the kids. The kids want to play around the swimming pool and make a little bit of noise. Well, okay, that that's fine. I I just maybe I wouldn't have felt that way 15 years ago, but as I get older, it's kind of like life is short, okay, enjoy yourself. And I guess I feel the same way, and this again comes from my perspective as a pet lover and a dog lover in general. I, yes, do are there people out there that don't clean up after their dogs? Yeah, there there are. And is that a crummy thing to do? Yes, it is. And if some dog poops somewhere, I mean, I've told the story before about how one time I'm walking my dog when we lived in Whitefish Bay, and she takes a poop and I don't have any bags. I ended up taking a $5 bill and, and picking it up. I wasn't just going to leave the dog poop. And it's a little, this, I got a little dog. I wasn't going to leave it. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I know that sounds silly and stupid, but that's what I did because I'm not just going to leave dog poop on the side of the road. I understand that some people aren't like that. Believe me, I, I see that. I live in a neighborhood where lots and lots of people have dogs. But in general, I believe that most people are responsible. And, and and yeah, I mean, public parks are for the public, and they're for the enjoyment of the community. And 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 yeah, I, I look, we we allow dogs in most Milwaukee County parks, and they allow in, in most Waukesha County parks, and they allow in most Ozaukee County parks, and they allow in most Washington County parks. Madison says no dogs. I think Madison is way, way, way behind the times. Richard in Milwaukee, Richard you're on WTMJ.
3: How are you doing today? Hi, Richard. Good. Dogs are smart. People are smart. The trouble is we have too many not smart people that have dogs. I've been around dogs my entire life, 70 years old. I've seen everything. I've done everything. I've taken my dogs places that you would never think about taking them. And yet my dogs have always been properly trained, and they do what they're supposed to do where they do it. If the owners of these dogs were as smart as the dogs are, we'd be in a lot better place. The big problem we have is these people are stupid and they don't know how to take care of their dogs. And that's why the dogs do the things they do.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, again, they so. Th- but look, I-, I go to lots of parks and, and-, and yes, are there going to be examples where you have the-, the moron that lets the dog off the leash and the dog comes running up? I mean, look, I'm really aware of that type of stuff because I have this little dog and you know, when I see that happen, I'm picking up my dog. Yeah, so I mean, I understand That kind of stuff goes on. But as a general rule, I mean, and I'm getting all these texts saying, well, I I was on the soccer field and there was dog poop and wasn't this awful and nobody likes stepping in that. No, I get it. Nobody likes stepping in dog poop. I, I understand that. But at the same time, Okay, people don't like stepping in goose poop, and the gooses, geese come down and do that, and they don't like stepping in deer poop, and the deer runs over that. Yes, if you are a pet owner, you have a responsibility to clean up after your pet, and that's why you should always have the little doggy bags with you. But to me, that's not a justification for saying we're not going to allow dogs in public places like parks. And I guess, I, I guess if, if all of a sudden in Madison – and I, I will tell you, I, I'm kind of tuned in, I think, to you know issues that become crises. I don't hear too many people complaining, oh, gee, this park is so terrible because you had this dog or that dog that was there. I, I don't hear this as a major type of issue. Now, obviously, if you have somebody, like I say, that the dog poops and they let it go, fine them. I give them a ticket. That That's okay with me. I don't have a problem with that. But this idea that we need to ban dogs from public parks as a general rule – I don't think it needs to go that far. I think this is some sort of outdated type of thing. And yes, in Madison, when they do this, will they have a situation where, okay, you, you know, some dog's going to poop on the soccer field. Yeah, that's probably going to happen. Um, like I say, my guess is, you know, in these Madison parks, you know, you, you, you're you probably going to be finding syringes and all sorts of other stuff. Lord knows what you're going to find. My guess is there's a lot of stuff you find in Madison parks that are a lot worse than a little bit of dog poop. But I understand that there's going to be the possibility that that kind of thing could, in fact, occur. But given the fact that, I don't know, so many people own dogs nowadays, to simply say, no, we're not going to let dogs there, I, I think is outdated. I think it's misguided. And... If it's good enough for Milwaukee and Ozaukee and Washington counties, you know, why wouldn't it be good enough for Madison? When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News for this Monday. It's 83 degrees outside. This is Jeff Wagner.